His name is Chris Christie. He is a former governor of New Jersey, former federal prosecutor, and uh, increasingly prolific author. He is the author, most recently, of the new book, What Would Reagan Do? Life Lessons from the Last Great President. Um, Chris, did you did you begin this book or begin thinking about this book while you were still running to be the next great president? I I began thinking about this book um, right around the midterms in 2022, and when I saw the continued lack of progress in our political system, um, I just felt like Ronald Reagan. And his life and career had a lot of answers for us that we had probably forgotten and neglected. And he was my first vote. I turned 18 in 1980. And so Reagan was my first vote. Um, And I felt like we needed to bring his life lessons, which informed the kind of leader he was, um, back uh, back to a broader audience so they could see once again that it can happen, that you can stand by your principles. Uh, but still find compromise in uh, in our country. And you you have a phrase that is uh, very evocative and very uh, memorable. You say that Reagan was an expert at compromising without being compromised. What does that mean? Absolutely, absolutely, Michael. And and what I'd say to you is that Reagan was a guy who understood um, how to say yes how to find his way to yes. Um, But he did so um, by convincing others that his way was much closer to the right way to get something done. And you could see throughout um, our examination of Reagan in this book, that this starts all the way back with him as a young child, where he was in a home where his mother was deeply religious, very, very... uh, very, very strong principles that were rooted in their faith. Their father, his father was a salesman um, who was a guy much less rooted in those things, um, had a bit of a drinking problem as well, caused a lot of difficulties inside the house from time to time for not only his wife, but for his children. Um, Yet Reagan saw himself as someone who could bring those two together inside their own family. So it started all the way back to that time in his life. And what we do in each one of the chapters, which cover a different portion of Reagan's life, is to talk about how the life lessons in that portion of his life, what it led him, what principles it led him to um, as the person that he became as as a governor and ultimately as the president. And uh, you you managed to bring this book out. Uh, yesterday was Reagan's birthday, and uh, we were celebrating on the air and celebrating uh, the arrival of this new book, uh, What Would Reagan Do? Life Lessons from the Last Great President. Uh, in terms of employing those last lessons and applying them to this particular moment in our political history, uh when you left the presidential race, to the very best of my knowledge, you haven't endorsed anyone else uh, as um, someone worthy of support for the election of 2024. 
Have you been thinking about that? Is there uh, any Chris Christie uh, endorsement trying to apply some of these Reagan principles to the current scene? Well, right now I don't see anybody um, emerging who would be worthy of that, would be worthy of of what you just talked about. And I, you know, I said this during the race, that I made a decision in 2016 when I got out of the race that time um, and made a decision that was purely based on politics and decided to endorse Donald Trump. He was the front runner. He was the person most likely to be the nominee in my mind. Um, and I felt like, okay, I'll go in there and politically try to help him as best I can because I didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. I have no regret about the fact that I didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. But making that decision um, with someone who I knew was flawed, um, but who I thought I could help to make better, uh, that turned out to be the wrong decision and the wrong reason to make an endorsement. And so I'm not going to make an endorsement this time based upon politics. When someone stands up and starts to say the things that need to be said in this country and people start being told the truth again in this country and, and commit themselves to getting things done for the people of this country, um, that's, that's when I'll stand up and support someone. I haven't seen that person yet, Michael. I don't know if you have, but I have not. Well, there was uh, some echo from that kind of person. Uh, do you remember uh, which presidential candidate had this to say? Is uh, those people who are coming over that border, many of them are walking hundreds, if not thousands of miles to get there because here is where they see hope. Here is where they see freedom. Here is where they see success. Here is where they see that flag, which means for them, thousands of miles away in other countries, all of those principles. We are still the indispensable nation for the rest of the world. We need to be the indispensable nation once again to each other. We need to believe in America as much as they believe in America. Uh, you remember which, uh, which presidential aspirant had that to say? Yeah, it sounds very familiar, Michael. I think you just quoted me to me. Um, yes, I did. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I absolutely believe that to be true about this country. And, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about in the book is when Ronald Reagan made the promise in his campaign for president in 1980 um, that he would nominate the first woman to the United States Supreme Court. And he not only said what he meant, he did it. And he did it very early on in his first term um, when he had the opportunity to do it. And I think we have too little of that now. Um, and, and when we write our, our chapter on Tip O'Neill, um, the lesson that I think Reagan taught us in that one was it's a lot harder to hate up close. And we don't have a situation now, unfortunately, Michael, in this country where our leaders are willing to do that. In fact, much more they're concerned about who to make us angry with so that uh, we don't support them and default to supporting the person who's making us angry. Um, it's, it's a horribly cynical way to go about things. And by the way, both parties are doing it. And, you know, Donald Trump just happens to be the loudest one, but both parties are doing it. And that's why you see the dysfunction you see on Capitol Hill, where once again today they can't agree on uh, how to secure our border. They can't agree that we oppose Vladimir Putin 
and and further dominance by Putin in in Europe. Um, you know, we they can't agree on aiding Israel, despite the fact that it's only the democracy, the only democracy in the Middle East, and was brutally, viciously attacked in an unprovoked way on October seventh. And so we can't. Well, well one of one of the basic things. One of the things we were going to get to with Chris Christie, the author of the new book, What Would Reagan Do? Life Lessons from the Last Great President, is the most underestimated aspect of Reagan. People know he had strong convictions, but he was also a master negotiator uh, with other politicians here and with foreign leaders. Uh, What was the secret to his approach to negotiation? More coming up with Governor Chris Christie on The Medved Show. There have been many, many books about Reagan. One of the best is the new book by Chris Christie, uh, former governor of New Jersey, two-term Republican governor of New Jersey. And he begins a book by talking about the first vote he ever cast when he became eligible to vote at age 18. He was at the University of Delaware. And uh, he voted for Ronald Reagan. The book is called What Would Reagan Do? Life Lessons from the Last Great President. And one of the things you do that is different from a lot of the other biographers of Reagan is you emphasize his skill, particularly at working with people and negotiating. Uh, What was the secret of Reagan's approach to negotiation? that you write about in your book? I think it was twofold, Michael. The first was that he very firmly laid out his 100% position, meaning if he were to be able to get everything he wanted to get on a particular issue, he would lay it out very clearly, both publicly and privately, to those he was negotiating with as to what he thought the absolute right answer was. But also, secondly, understood that no negotiation could be successful unless both sides thought they had won something. And, and Reagan understood that. He understood that, you know, you, had, you couldn't allow people to walk away and feel as if they had been fleeced, feel as if they had had their pocket picked um, or they'd been bludgeoned into something. Reagan would use the bully pulpit to further convince folks of the popularity of his position to attempt to move them. But in the end, he never let any of the people on the other side walk away empty-handed. And I think that's something that is so missing in today's Washington, D.C., and the reason why we can't even get the most basic things done, like a budget um, that Reagan did under difficult circumstances with a Democratic House of Representatives, but still got much of what he stood for, but allowed his adversaries to walk away with something in order to save face and move on to the next challenge that would come. One of the uh, one of the things that uh, you uh, bring up is each uh, chapter, uh, which pertains to different issues, comes with a lesson that is to be learned. And... Uh, uh, you have a chapter that is incredibly relevant right now to what the country's going through about the immigration system. And uh, you, you say lesson learned sometimes surprise everyone. How did President Reagan surprise everyone in handling of immigration? 
because it was Reagan who put his own law and order credentials on the line. Um, it, and he did it in the context of saying, look at me. I'm the guy who stood up in California to make sure that our borders were secure. Um, but he then stood up and said, you know, to everyone, but I can find a way to solve this and surprise people by talking with passion and emotion about the immigrant experience. And, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. We, we talk in the book about um, a lunch that he had in June of 1981. Um, uh, he, he came, Lopez Portillo came to see President Reagan. Um, but what he did was he brought with him Fernando Valenzuela, who at the time was a 20-year-old superstar in his first season with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And um, Reagan, you know, as a huge baseball fan and knew exactly who Valenzuela was. Uh, but through a translator, he told Reagan about the little town he came from in the state of Sonora in Mexico and how excited he was when he came to Washington to see all the monuments. And he said to Reagan, my dream was to play in the major leagues, and now here I am sitting between two presidents in the White House. This could only happen in America. And afterwards, staff members said that Reagan kept bringing up um, when, when his pollsters would warn him against supporting any type of path to citizenship for people in the country. He kept bringing up that issue. He kept bringing up the story. And they came to call it the Fernando factor. And what <laughs> Reagan understood was he was willing to stand up um, when he heard a personal story and be able to apply it to the much broader issue and problem. And, you know, he was a bit of a riverboat gambler, too. He knew that it was not going to make some of the people in his party completely happy. But he felt like if you could tell stories to people that made them understand what the results of the compromise would be, they were much more likely to accept the compromise because it was going to do something good for people in the country. And he did it on immigration, surprised people given his background. And, you know, he did it in a way that I think, you know, really dealt well with the immigration problem for a very long time. But quite frankly, he's the last president who did. We've been stagnant since then. One of the things that, of course, is particularly pertinent uh, to uh, learn some lessons from Reagan has to do with right now Ukraine's fight for liberty and, and the sense. And, and I, I believe you made this point during your presidential campaign as well. Ukraine is not fighting just for Ukrainians. They're, they're also fighting for the West and for the United States and for liberty and decency. Uh, what do you think President Reagan would uh, give as advice to President Trump about Ukraine? He would say, support them to fight now or we'll be fighting later. And if you think that Vladimir Putin is going to stop at Ukraine, you're naive and you don't understand history. Remember, um, it was Hitler who went into Czechoslovakia and no one in Western Europe stood up against him 
in early 1939. And what did it lead Hitler to do? It, it led him to go into Poland then in September of 1939. And you know what he said, Michael, too, is I read a book about this recently. He said they didn't go to war over Czechoslovakia. Why would they go to war over Poland? And when the British and the French did declare war after Poland, you know, Hitler was stunned because we hadn't taught him the lesson right at the beginning. Putin the lesson now, and that's what Reagan would have done. And uh, to send out a clear pick, uh, Chris Christie sends that message in his new book, What Would Reagan Do? It's posted up at our website at michaelmedved.com. It's a marvelous read uh, from a, a very necessary American, uh, Chris Christie. Uh, we will be right back. 